Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third-tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income. Today's podcast is going to be... It's, I'm really excited about it. Um, th- this is totally different than we've done before. I thought this was really important to share with you guys, maybe an more of an inside look at conversations behind the screen. And so let me explain to you real quick what is happening before we put this podcast on. Um, so you guys understand we, I had a call with, um, I'm part of a, a group that's called go abundance. It's for, um, uh, high net worth individuals that are doing everything, all sorts of different business and real estate. And the group wanted me to speak on um, self-storage to a few of the members uh, to talk to them about what's happening. So we have this call and we just kind of go through everything self-storage, the opportunities, you know, where they're at, why they're there, the hows, the what's, the wins, the whys, all of it. It's really cool. It was a great conversation, but I do need to preference it. This was a Zoom meeting, like it was video, and there was some audio problems. Uh, I wasn't making this for a podcast. This was just off the cusp, but while we were doing it, one of the members was like, man, this is great information. We're going to put it out to the other members, and I said, I'll put it on my podcast too um, so that other people can hear it. Uh, please listen to this. Um, listen to this. Let me know what you think. Also, another thing that we're doing is I'm trying to review case studies, not only mine, but other people's. If you have any opportunities or case case studies of things that you just did, send them my way. And I'm hap- that way we can use real, actual examples um, with individuals going over what's happening in the self-storage industry. But that's for another time. All right, everybody. I hope you like this. I apologize for the audios and maybe the break. Remember, this isn't a normal podcast. wasn't recorded normal, but I think it's of tremendous value, and I hope you guys like it. Let me know what you think. Um, if I can give a, a brief intro. So uh, the other day, guys, I was thinking about self-storage and um, reached out on GoBundance and AJ dropped and was like, hey, I'll, I'll chat. And um, he chatted with me for about 18 minutes nonstop, dropped some really cool stuff. And um, and I was blown away by his uh, expertise and ideas and energy. And um, I, my friend Brian uh, wanted wanted some more info. And so, dude, I'm really appreciative of, uh, of, of your willingness to share your time. So as much or as little as you're willing to talk, man, we're all ears. Awesome. Well, yeah, I do, I do get very excited about self storage. I love this business. Uh, so uh, maybe I should dive into it and uh, kind of walk you guys real quick through a, a, a little background, though. Although I love self storage, I'm not a real estate guy. Um, so I own several different companies. Um, I work with large employers and um, self funding their benefits dollars. That's my background. 
Um, and so real estate is not a new thing. I've been in it for a while, but I think that background is very important to understand self-storage. Um, the self-storage industry as a whole has a lot of misconceptions. And we were talking about this, and I think it's important to understand these misconceptions um, because they define whether you succeed or fail. And the, the, the worst part about self-storage is also the best part. Like the things that why m some people may not want to get into self-storage is why I got into self-storage and how we extract such massive value out of this asset class. So breaking it down here, the self-storage industry um, as a whole is a fragmented industry, 80% mom and pop, uh, around 20% uh, are the big boys. Um, REITs, and then about 1% own 10 facilities plus. That's me and some other people. I also own a software company in the space. We are developing out property management systems that we should roll out the first part of next year. We did a 7 million raise, and we're getting ready to do that. I've done everything from ground up uh, facilities like that one in the back to um, turn converted bankrupt Super Kmarts into storage facilities, average facilities, 85,000 square feet, four states, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Nevada, and um, entering in several more and got a couple development projects on the back end. Now, back to where we started. So self-storage is not a real estate asset. Okay, get that out of your head. I buy real estate I buy self-storage facilities from people that think that they own real estate. That makes me a lot of money uh, because self-storage is a fully operating, functioning business. And if you buy a self-storage to receive passive income, guys like me are going to end up buying you. Uh, this is why so much money is flooding into the self-storage market. There's so much value to extract because people own businesses and they don't even know it. They um, are operating them beyond poorly. They're not making money. They're confused why? Because self-storage is competitive by nature. So what that means is not everything's the same. Think about like apartment buildings, right? You have a bunch of apartment buildings in a city. Depending on a few things like quality, it's all going to generate the same rent, right? Expenses are known. We have whatever it costs to run it, and we have whatever it costs to build it. That's not storage, okay? So when I come into a city, I can buy an asset, and within six months, I can increase the revenue by 40% and put very little into it doing so. Um, I can extract huge value from offering products, services, rents, but most importantly, I take the best tenants in the market, and I capitalize on them, and I send the worst tenants to my competitors. Their delinquents go up. They can't charge as much rent. Um, that is... That, that's our game we play. We'll, we'll buy a facility for three, three, four million, and we can make it eight million in the next six months. Uh, we've done it time, time, time again. We did our Reno facility at seven million. We had all our money out of it, plus millions, not even a year and a half later. It's valued at 25 million today. That's one and a half, we're almost exactly one and a half years later, and that was from nothing, from scratch. So, the reason I get excited is the opportunity in self-storage is just awesome. Now, the reason that comes with a flag, though, is because you got to know what you're buying, right? You got to understand this market and how it operates. The REITs have just done tremendously well. 
Uh, they've used technology to back them and to capitalize and basically devour a lot of these markets. We're coming in and the game is all based upon technology and data right now. So our, our, our simple thing is we go buy mom and pops. We have three different, uh, there's three different pillars that I look to make this simple. There's three different pillars. You have, let's call it the physical asset side, right? So this is the actual where it's located. This is the buildings itself on the ground it sits. This is the real estate part, which is the one part in self-storage that doesn't matter because I can't do anything about it. So if you get it wrong, it's just game over, right? And if you get it right, that has nothing to do with your success. The next one is operations, and the next one is revenue management. Uh, Self-storage acts like hotels. The better my marketing, the better my operation, and the better I can do dynamic things like dynamic pricing, which is what airlines do, everybody on different seats in the airline pays different prices. So when you go into a facility down the road from me, all their 10 by 10s are $50. When you come into my facility, all my 10 by 10s are at different prices changing all the time. We can get massive, massive value out of that. We charge things like insurance, which then we turn around and self-fund. So 80% of that insurance dollars is coming back to us. So we can capitalize on, um, oh, sorry, wait, got to get back to my three. Those are operations-based things, okay? So operations-based, first of all, they're not professional. You walk into it, it looks like a storage facility, right? We focus on um, uh, working franchise. We still have a franchise-like system. We buy, we turn around, uniforms, training. We do three-day training things with managers, all this kind of stuff that goes in to creating a value proposition for prospective tenants, both on the ground and online. This merger between the two allows us to get a sales system, which capital or which can then um, can then lock that sell in at the point of content. Right. My goal is not necessarily to compete with the competitors; it's to make them irrelevant. I hope they'll never see you. That's that's the goal. Now that's all done operationals. Revenue management is when we come into that dynamic pricing, offering other lines of insurance. Uh, uh, products, insurance, and then driving down those uh, costs through things like volume and discounts, okay? If I'm looking at example, I got a few here. So this big boy right here behind me, it's 140,000 square feet. Um, we picked that thing up for 2.3 million. Um, main road goes through the whole center of town. When we bought it, they were charging 20 cents a square foot a month and they were 60% occupied, no services, 12% delinquents. Uh, two years later, they were at 60 cents a month in revenue. It was completely full. Delinquents were down to 2% and that facility is worth like 13 million. Um, this is just time and time again. That's how we operate, it's how we run. Um, when you get into self-storage, you need to understand that you either have a competitive advantage or you don't. And if you don't know who you're competing with, how you're competing, that means you don't have the competitive advantage, right? You need to know in when you go into a market how those players are, uh, are getting their tenant for how much, right, and how long those tenants are s staying. What you're trying to capitalize on is the long-term value. Okay, so this is really important, and I, I do a lot of speaking on this uh, for ISS. Yes, go, hey, go ahead, Don. 
AJ, can I interrupt you real fast, man? Please do. I'm sorry. Uh, I just want to ask if anybody else, the, the connection for me is really, uh, is really poor. And I don't know if it's me or anybody else. Brian, can you, are you? Pretty bad for me. Yeah, too. it's uh, it's going in and out for me, but uh, I thought that might have been my connection because I'm in a weird area. So that's what I was wondering as well. So I, I can hear uh, Brian. I can hear you pretty well, Ryan. I was able to hear you, Philip. Uh, Phil, are you still on? So is it on my end? Yeah, but I'm driving, so I assumed that it was my. I think so, man. Okay, let me see here. Hold on, two seconds. Sorry, you're in a good flow, but uh. It was pretty, uh, pretty choppy. All right. Is that any better? Still there? Okay. There we go. Yeah. I'm trying a new. I'm just trying a hot spot on my phone now. See if that actually works better. Cool. Any luck there? It sounds better so far. You guys? Yeah, so far. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So, I, I so guess, go back to who you are again. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so I hope you got at least enough out of it to follow along kind of where we're going. Is it, get the, the three things I was talking about, markets, all that. Yeah, and then, AJ, right when you started talking about the, uh, the unit behind you on the wall, that's when I really started to lose you. You were talking about the competitive yes. advantage, but I didn't catch what you consider the competitive advantage to be. Okay, perfect. So – um, here at this facility, uh, that I have, we're, uh, it's a perfect example of facilities we acquire. It was failing. They were doing 20 cents a uh, square foot in revenue a month. Um, then they were about 60% occupied, no extra lines, like 12% delinquencies. We took it over. It became completely full at 60 cents a month. Um, we got delinquencies down to like 2%. We added an insurance product sales, all sorts of stuff, right? And it now it's got a valuation of well over 10 million. I mean, we have an open wow. line on the thing of like 5 million just sitting there in case we want to do something with it because we bought it for two. So, it, you know, mass equity. So we can use that to purchase and go do other things, even though we haven't needed to because we capitalize on our cash flows internally. So we've just left that line sitting open in case we want to use it. Um, now, that's that's the normal how we do it. Uh, I can give you an example, too. Just recently, we purchased one at auction. And this comes down to understanding your competitive advantage because the auction was really clear. What happened is the auction, the, the facility went to auction. It was a great road, great location. The appraisal came back at 3.4 million. Okay, so when the appraisal came back at 3.4 million, the first thing we said is, well, who cares? Because appraisers don't know anything. So we took that and we said, throw it in the trash. We took all the data of the facility. We overlay our model, what you can do through dynamic pricing, changing in you know the value proposition to the customers, marketing, capitalizing on those customers, and we took the number of exact models, literally three, four miles down the road, overlaid it, gave it to another bank. The bank came back and said, yeah, this, this facility is worth whatever, $7 million. So we went in, we bought it for, I think it was for $4 million, for $4 million, and, and we were competing against REITs, U-Haul. We were competing against, like, really huge operators. And everybody was, like, scratching their head. They're like, why did you overpay so much for that asset? When in reality, we just stole it. 
And within two months, we kicked out 30% of the tenants, refilled it, instituted insurance, and it's, I mean, two years later, eight plus million, but we didn't need two years. In two months, we had almost doubled the value of that facility. Um, our net, you know, obviously in cash flow, skyrocketed. Now, these examples are to show a few things. First of all, I don't go in and compete against people I don't know. This isn't in New York City. This isn't a second-tier market that I know I'm not competing with extra space because the tactics that I have to use to compete, to capitalize, right, well, they're going to kill you. I was down in Nashville right now, and there's a public storage that's five stories high. It's 20% occupied. And it will flood the market with units, and it'll lose money for six years, and they don't care. And so, like, I can't compete with that. I don't have, I'm not, I don't have, you know, debt-free assets, and I have, you know, $40 billion. So, I need to be able to be in markets where I can create and use my business know-how to come in, find opportunity, find value, capitalize on it, and that comes down when I'm looking to a market, when I'm trying to find assets that are good, to a few simple things. But there's only one thing that really matters. That's competition. Okay? That's the only thing that matters. Right now, there are cities that it doesn't matter. I could be the, the best operator in the world. If I went in, I'd fail because they're so overbuilt. Um, this is a... This is probably the biggest problem we have in self-storage. We are at the top of a market. It's not unknown. It's all we talk about. I was down at our in Nashville this uh, last week. Yeah, I got home last night at 11. Um, and we were going through and looking. And Boise, where I live, you know, they build them on every single corner. Revenues are falling. Nashville, Texas, Houston. There's other uh, markets all over. But that's not everywhere. I go into markets that are not overbuilt at all where I can compete and I can get price ranges that are like really well. So every the perfect example, everybody was going to Boise, Idaho, okay? They're building them on every corner. You can get at best 60 cents a square foot a month. I go down the road to a city in Reno where I build at the exact same cost. There's no units available. Not one facility is being built in the entire city, and I can charge a buck 20, literally double, opening a square foot a month. So there's markets that are very much out of whack, and there's nothing that you can do to compete with that. You just can't. Um, it's over, it gets oversupplied. There's units sitting down. Governments get ticked. I don't know if there. Two weeks ago, the Wall Street Journal came out with an article talking about self storage and how people are getting upset because they're building all of these facilities. Um, in fact, I was on the news two weeks ago talking about this article because they were in one of our markets, um, and you're competing with people like me that bought an asset like this for $2 million that you're now building for $12 million, and you somehow think that you're going to be able to compete with those people. So what ends up happening, I just drop my rates to you needed a buck to ma a month to make sense. I can drop it to $0.40. Cents. doesn't do anything to me. But you go bankrupt, right? And so what happens is this is happening, and units are sitting empty all over these markets. Now, that's great opportunity. But that's a whole nother level for investors. What you want to look at is just the places that are being overlooked. 
which there's lots of them. That's the great thing about this. There's so much value you can extract in other areas. But remember, the tides, there's tides that you just can't win against. Competition's the number one. Their major operators are coming in. They're building mega facilities like they've never built before. And their view is, I can come in and I can squash these guys that are these mom and pa's players, right? that don't know what they're doing, I can out-market them, and then I'll make them irrelevant in the competition. So this is a trend that's happening all over the nation by lots of people, like me. I'm doing that in other markets, like uh, just not markets where I can't compete in. So the first thing, once again, to know is that the, that's the overbuilt market, competition's coming in, value and what you can extract and the risk embedded in that asset right, is all driven by competition in here. You need a market where you could fail. You need a market. When I go in and I buy a facility, I my I 100% need 20% cash on cash plus returns, or I don't even touch it. The reason being is I need a moat because these are month-to-month -month contracts. Bob builds down the road from me. My occupancy goes from 90% to 60% in three months. Right, So I need a good margin. But what I do is I'll go buy it where there's no one's building. It's a good asset. So even if I did nothing to the asset, it's still great. But then I overlay my systems, extract the value today, not waiting. I'm not waiting for rents to go up. I'm not waiting for the markets to turn around. Exactly today, the difference from what it'll perform at with me and there, that will give me over 20% margins almost every time. I want to refinance, get my money out, redeploy it back in. Um, this that's the winning strategy. The the large players, 10 plus facility owners and operators, that's how they're executing. Now, some of them are doing in all sorts of different markets. I'm trying to stay in yards that I can win and I'm not going to get beat up in. Um, but extracting that value from underperforming without major competition, even if you don't do good, well, there's no one coming in. Your unit's probably going to stay pretty full, right? So you need that cushion. You got to be looking to the downside. So you need to go to cities. You need to go to, I, I go to the planning and zoning. I want to know, and I get a map out, and I'll look at all the areas in the city that are zoned for storage. Then I want to know all the, city, uh, all the facilities that are planned on being built. I go talk to all the local operators, and I call the builders, what's coming into this market? When's it coming in? Right? And if I call up, and they're like, they have five facilities being built in a five-mile radius, I just walk away. There's no reason to even try. Um, and so even even if I'm buying, even existing, because right now what they're selling for, it's, it's crazy. Facilities aren't worth what they're selling for on the market today because there's only one way to go. It's down. Um, so unless I can get a big margin out of these puppies, I'll come in. We just bought one, what was it, a month ago, I think we got it under contract. It was in a suburb of a large second-tier market we're really comfortable in. We went in there. They wanted a six-cap. It wasn't worth a six-cap, but I don't care about cap rates, and I'm going to get into that why. But when I overlaid my, syst my system on it, my numbers, what I can do, what I know I can, what I know I can perform with that asset, it's like a 12-cap. So for me, whatever they're saying doesn't matter. I just look at the revenue increase. I can buy that. I'm going to get 20 plus percent cash on cash returns. There's no facilities in the pipeline that are uh, that are going to be built, so I can get the short term upside, which that's all I bet on. Then if things go up, great, cherry on top, right? But I don't ever plan on that because that's a it, storage is 
they, it, it's very prone to booms and busts. So you never want to plan on that. Um, but we come in. When you're operating the facility, you need to look at a few things. First of all, the existing rate structure across the board, delinquencies, how that, the, how that rate structure, so think of all the different units, these are different products in the market. 10 by 10, 5 by 5, parking, you know, all these, these are different products that go to different people that have different value sets. So you need to be ready to sell to these different people and you need to be able to extract the value. So go in and then take the market see who's the highest uh, who's the highest renters there then look at their street rates compared to what's actually going on in the facility so you may get a lower end charging facility in the market let's say it's charging um, 10 by 10s for fifty dollars and somebody down the streets charging it for 65 they're full but that's their street rate once you get into the books they actually may only have 10 percent of their people at fifty dollars most of their people may be down at thirty dollars where they were three four years ago. And that's an awesome opportunity because you could bring people up to that, to the neighbor's street rate almost immediately and capture that increase in revenue. Now, we look at those across uh, the product types because some of them may be overbuilt or somebody may be out, but there may be a lot of different lines of parking. Um, we generally don't like parking, but uh, climate controlled or ways that we can expand to offer products that the market doesn't have. That's a, gr that's a great one we do. We get one with extra land. We'll add climate controlled onto it that doesn't exist in the market. Now my competition doesn't matter anymore because I'm the only one that offers that product. So they're irrelevant. That's a great way to insulate yourself. So there's all sorts of way to extract value and to find value, but really focus on the competition because they make it, it makes the difference, right? They're gonna make you or break you, and that's just something you can't control. So you need to really be able to focus on operations and revenue management, and you can't sacrifice on location. That makes sense? Perfect. Questions on my verbal storage vomit here? No, so after, after you chatted with me, uh, couple nights ago I gave it a lot of thought and then that next morning I woke up and I was like I'm really grateful for the insight because um, I have five companies that I currently run and it sounds like doing self-storage would be number six uh, and and that I don't want that game I I love what you just said earlier that that um, real estate is like one of the three operations real estate revenue management and real estate is like the thing like it isn't I mean like it is but it's not. Right. It, Self-storage is business dis uh, 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 um, uh, disguised as real estate. Sure. Sure. Which, which once again, though, like I said, these, those are, it may seem like the bad things, but if you're going to put in the work, that's what, that's what makes this industry. I can't For do sure. that in apartment buildings. For so sure. if I wanted to go buy an apartment building, if it's at a five cap, I'm never going to get that to be a 15 cap, right? I'm never going right. to get That's 40% right. unless I'm putting in millions into that facility. Mm -hmm. I don't need to do that in storage. Mm -hmm. So what kind of, what kind of like software systems are you using or personnel are you using for like entry and exit and security around the buildings and stuff like that? I guess my, I'm, I'm, I'm I get caught up in the details sometimes on stuff like this, but yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, I think that's the, the, especially the software and the management of who's where and how they get in and out can make or break you in this type of deal. A hundred percent. Okay. Now you're going into a whole nother level, which is great. Let's go into there because you're exactly right. Um, there are facilities that I won't purchase, even if they're in a good location, simply because 
the unit, not only the unit mix, but how the outlay of the facility with security and different things like that are structured, where I'd actually have to physically change the structure of that building. Perfect example of this, for some reason, people will put the office inside the facility. That makes no sense at all security-wise, because let's say I have PTI that operates my gates, I have the security cameras and everything around. Well, I'm either not accepting customers or I'm leaving that facility open and unsecured. There's no in-between there. Um, so we do have gates, we have operations, I've used everything. So I helped roll out a product called Noki, which it, we, have, we are the second people in the nation to have what is to be a truly automated facility. I don't mean automation by like you can rent online. Lots of people say that, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, they can get their unit online, come to my facility, access their unit, access the gate and everything on their phone. They never have to speak to another human being ever. And we don't ever have to know. They can do it in California and have a unit. And I don't even have to know about it. And then two, they can give permission to their grandma in another city and she can go to the facility and access it um, without ever talking to us. Gates, everything, codes. So there, this, this remote ability to access the automated nature of that is a really big change. Now, let me make this very clear. I say automated. Um, I was on a panel this fall with a guy who was like, I've created, you know, uh, I, I've created uh, facilities that don't have to have employees, right? This is a misnomer and this is garbage. I called him out on a stage in a nice way, but I'm like, how big's your facility? He's like 30,000 square feet. I'm like, okay, well, we have offices that are almost that size, right? I mean, that's like a teeny. Of course, you could automate a 15, well, it was like 15 or 10,000 square foot facility. But two, even then, when I ask him, okay, well, who does your repairs? Who does the evictions? Who does the clearing out of units and the processing? Oh, well, I have a guy for that. Well, okay, then you have a person that's going on site? Yes. How often does he go there? Multiple times a week. Okay, it's not automated. Um, so the technology that's coming into the space is creating big waves and it's helping us optimize and create a facility that can be ran almost dual. This is great because it limits the amount of personnel that needs to go into it, right? But still, you need to look at how your employees are operating everything from no key to, let's say it's your property management system is SSM, right? Um, Self-storage uh, software, all of these have problems. The problems are they lock you out of their data and they can lock you into a system which you can't get out of. That's why we're developing our property management company, we, uh, which is us and over, I think our partners, we have over 1.5 billion in assets. And we're developing this so it can be open source. As in, it can do everything from scan license and verify people over the phone. So you can be on your phone doing reports, doing open locks, doing all kinds of stuff, right? Um, this technology is not only changing fast, but it made it so a lot of the old technology is really outdated. Um, we just acquired a facility, and I didn't even know what the property management system was. I'd never even heard of it. It was so rudimentary. And it, this is a really big issue because that means the manager is basically controlling everything. And you have no way of seeing not only day to day, but month to month, how that facility is performing. So managers will do things like they'll rent out units and those tenants will give them cash. You don't ever know that that unit's rented and you don't ever know that somebody's paying. They're just taking the money. Um, this, I 
probably half of the facilities we bought, this was common. Wow. Um, so the security is not just for the tenant. It needs to be for you as a manager and how you're operating that facility. So we try to, we have our property management systems. We have our, um, obviously, our security systems. Then we have our gate systems. We have interior, exterior, drive up, pull up. Um, so those things all need to coordinate through a central database, which we call GDS. And then that can communicate to all those systems at the same time. So that can talk to my gate company. It can talk to my app. It can talk to my property management system, all of that together. So we run it off that platform and then we can pull the different reports as well as see what's going on in the facility anytime we need to. Does that make sense? Yeah, I have a question, um, AJ. So you take, like in your, you're, you're super knowledgeable and really professional uh, in, in how you run your business. Uh, do you recommend other people get into the space? Absolutely. Like if, I, I think yeah. that if, let me put it this way. If you want to build an empire, it's through self-storage. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't enter into another real estate asset class to try to build an empire because it's, it would just be so hard to do and hard, not by work. Like there's way more work that has to go into storage way more. Right. But hard to get the returns that you need to build an empire um, storage. I can get them. Now I, once again, I have a complete management company. So I only have 12 facilities, but I have, we have three, six people in the management companies. I have 32 employees that work for me. I have to manage all these people, software systems, all this kind of stuff, huge payroll. But with that said, I can use this to extract that value that may not be able to extract. And I don't think any other real estate asset class. And I suggest too doing like we started. We started in third tier markets. So like our first facilities was in a city called Bonners Ferry, Idaho, which no one's ever heard of. There's more grizzly bears than people. It's up by the Canadian border. Um, like population under 5,000 people, right? And we would go and buy in these third tier markets, storage facilities that we could do little things and learn and turn little facilities around that maybe just weren't collecting or maybe weren't on par. And we could start small in facilities that were like 20,000. We could understand operations. Then we could quickly move up. And then as we moved up, we got bigger and bigger deals because once again, we could turn it around, extract the value repeat that and roll it into another project. Um, and this is without having to, like if I was trying to accomplish the same thing in commercial or apartments, I gotta be able to come in and spend a lot of money to turn that around. You don't need to do that most of the time. Now I have facilities that I bought and we basically torn down half the facility including the whole entire frontage and rebuilt everything. But um, that's not how we started. Hey, Phil, uh, you're still on. You got any questions, man? Or Brian? Sorry, yeah, I'm here. I'm uh, <laughs> at my house with my family, so I'm like cleaning up while I'm listening. But um, no, I, I hadn't, I had thought about self storage before, but I hadn't um, seriously thought about diving into it. So um, this is, I don't know, kind of a first thought almost, you know, in a while. So, um, no questions here, but this is this is awesome information. I've never heard half of this stuff. 
yeah, it's it's a cool world. I mean, I got I got to tell you, it's it's um, one that there's not. I don't want to say a lot of professionalism, but when we came into it, it was a lot of people that basically owned what were considered junkyard assets, and you could come and buy them and put a little elbow gr- grease into them and increase revenues and cash flow and extract a lot of value. So, so when you, I mean, I've got a quick question. When you, yeah. when you bought some of these, like the first, uh, first couple of facilities or the small ones in, in 13 markets or whatever, um, were you keeping some of the people that were already there and going that route yeah. or did you clean house and start over? Or? That's a great question. So I've kept, two, I think, managers of facilities that we've purchased. Um, And they now work at our upper management company. Other than that, we almost always clean house. Um, The reason being is if you're buying a property that's performing poorly, well, most of the time you have a person that's not performing well there. And Mm -hmm. they like that. They like the fact that they're not doing a lot of work. They like the fact they have a really cushy job. And two, the vast majority, they're making money somewhere on the side. Uh, it, it, it's hard to retrain someone that has really bad habits. And we, we tried that early on. We tried to keep them. We learned, we learned very quickly that we walked in. Here's the new way we're working. You're on board, and if they give crap, we already start looking for a replacement. We have very little tolerance for it, um, and it's it's better to rip off the Band-Aid quick. Yeah. AJ, what questions should we be asking? As, uh, as new guys that are, like, thinking about entering the space, what questions aren't we asking that you, that, that you feel like we should be asking? Um, so I think a few of the questions that uh, you guys uh, should be asking is, um, I guess, in general, and which too, we touched on a lot of this, but when looking at markets, like, I guess, what makes a successful market and what makes it fail and different locations and um, how it is situated on main roads, what's good, what's not. I'm trying to think of some of the things that I thought of, but of course, this was because I wasn't in real estate. So I was thinking very much on the real estate price uh, portion. But if you understand those basic concepts, it would much be more centered around op- operations. How do I increase the revenue? How do I extract value? What in what products can I align with the tenants? Do you make those products mandatory? Like insurance one is one. We just basically make it mandatory. You come into our facility, you got to have insurance to have your products because we don't cover it. So um, you got to have it. Uh, and then uh, how partnerships, I don't know if you guys are planning on self-funding, if you're planning on managing. And two, what's the difference between managing it yourself and hiring a third party? Those are all things you should be thinking about. So on the insurance piece of that, you said you're you're selling the insurance and keeping about 80% of that. Is that right? Yeah. So are you going through a third-party insurance company that you basically know the rate and you mark it up and charge your, your customer, or how, how are you doing that? So what we do is we have a tenant protection plan. So there's two sides. There's tenant protection plans, and then there's actual insurance, okay? Um, tenant protection plans are different than actual insurance. Most of the time, what you can do is you can go and they'll give you a percentage of the revenue back. Because Listen, these things are pure profit, okay? Whatever they charge, they're going to keep 90% of it. They just never pay out, 
ever. So with us, we know this. What we did is we said, okay, we're going to come on, but I want eight cents out of every, you know, eight cents out of every 10 that you get, I want. Because I know you're keeping it all. Some of them will give you five, six. We used our leverage to get um, eight cents, but that it's expected. Now, they're obviously not going to tell you that, but you need to be asking. So if I charge this, how much am I going to get to keep out of it? So if I charge 10 bucks, how much are you giving to me? Who, 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 who are these people at the insurance companies? I mean, who? you can't just call up Farm Bureau, right? It's no, no, no. There's specific tenant um, insurance companies uh, that we can use. Let me, I got to think of a few um, here. I want to give you some good ones. We actually, because we've been going through this change right now, because what we were doing is we went together as a part of like an association. Um, so we're part, we're founders of the largest self-storage association on the planet. We pool all our resources together to get discount pricing. Okay. So this discount pricing that we get it, or this uh, leverage that we get, it allows us to put pressure on vendors like tenant protection plans and tenant insurance. So from there, then we can go to them and say, we have, you know, more units than one, you know, two of the REITs do. If we come to you, what are you going to give to us? And that's how we get the higher amount. Um, let me see here. I there's I think probably one of the biggest ones, Minico. Um, I, I don't think we're contracted out with them to move on. I, I got to be careful what I say on this podcast because we're in the middle of the negotiations. Look at Minico. Um, and two, I can send it over to you guys. I'm happy to... Um, text you some names, send it over to you. But you should look at Store Local, which is that association. Store Local is, be uh, we built Store Local to benefit independent operators so that we can act like big REITs. It's, we believe it's really important for independent operators to stay relevant because right now they're becoming irrelevant in the market and they're having a really hard time competing. So we've spent years creating this stuff and working with big players, people that have a billion dollars in self-storage, and even they're trying to remain relevant in the market. Um, so the technology that the REITs used started to get to a point where um, the, the differential in the spread was just killing storage operators. So coming together, pooling our resources and technology things, it gives us a little bit of an edge. The property management system that we're creating will give us a much bigger edge, will allow us to capitalize. Because you got to remember, there's there's three types of facilities, there's three types of tenants in the market, okay? There's tenants that focus on quality, there's tenants that focus on location, and then you have tenants that focus on price, okay? The, you only want one or two of those, the top two. And the differential in what they'll pay is massive, Okay, so you need location and quality and you got to make sure that your perceived value to the tenant can compare to those in the market or you won't get those. Well, what happens is people go into a market and they're putting their their, their projections together and their performance and they're like, well, look at Bob, you know, Bob charges $100 for a 10 by 10. Little did you know that Bob has, you know, 30 storage facilities and you can never get close to what Bob charges because Bob takes all those top tenants and he overlays him in front of you, and tenants don't even know you exist, 
And so you're getting the bottom tenant, which means that you're getting 40% less than char uh, Bob is, and now you're in trouble. Because you bought with expectations that you could do the same thing he does in the market, which is not true. So you got to focus on these three, realize who they are and how you're going to capture them. Well, the association and the property management systems that we're doing are designed purely on us to be able to market, to capture, and then close the deal with those top two, which are the highest paying tenants, and to make sure that we're visible to the market, that the bigger players and that REITs don't make us invisible, and then leave us with the worst ones, which cause higher delinquencies, they buy less products, and your revenue is, is hurt really bad. So at a facilities, you look at more institutional grade facilities, right? First class, they look like hotels. Um, and we've built uh, uh, quite a few of these and we're trying to bring all ours up to standard because the how the consumer views the product has changed massively in the last 10 years because of shows like Storage Wars where they're showcasing these facilities that are like, they're like hotel lobbies. I mean, this one that we've built here, if you can see the showroom in that thing is vaulted ceilings. It's, it's you know, granite. It's gorgeous when you walk into it. When people walk in and then they it's a top level that overlooks the whole facilities with conference rooms, all sorts of stuff. So you walk in and they're like, wow, right? Well, then when they go down the road to somebody else and they look at theirs and they're going, hold on, no, 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 I'm going back. And I'll pay the top price for that. So you need to understand when you're doing those models and those projections, how you're going to compete if you're not. The second level, you have the top level, then the second level would probably be more like this one that we have, which is it focuses on location. It is high quality, like our people there are, they're really good. They have that franchise look, they have name tags, they're trained on their sales approach and pitch. They know exactly what to say, how to present the sell. We have scripts, we have call centers, all these things. So operationally, it's really good, but it doesn't look like this, right? It doesn't, it's not a hotel, right? And so we need to still be able to get that. Then you have the third tier, which is price, and it's more just the common facility. And the revenue difference between those are, are massive. I mean, you can have two facilities a mile down the road, and one facility can do double or more the amount that the facility is. And understanding these customers and the different facilities, the class, the value proposition, the asset, this is where you're going to model your projections from. So when you're looking at saying, okay, we're going to make a pro forma on how I think I can perform when I buy this asset, you need to say, what are they doing now? Who are their tenants? Why are they here? How much do they charge? And if I'm saying, all right, I can't perform better than this guy that owns it right now, I can't do these things he's doing, well, then you need to reval. If you look at one that's purely on price, right? So all they care about is price. You got the lady that lives in it that comes out in her pajamas and says, what do you want when you go into the facility, right? And you're like, well, I could clean this up. I could make, but get a manager that's presentable. I could get rid of this gross smell. I could make it look nice. I could move up, right? I could move up in customer. Then I can go into that facility, buy it. I can clean it up, make it presentable, make the manager look nice, make more lighting, have a better showroom, make it look safer, update the cameras. And then I can kick out all of those bad people that are just price sensitive, right? And then I can go and I can start doing marketing ads. I know who I'm attracting. That's something I say. I ask people, like, who, who, who's your tenant and how much are they going to pay you? 
if you don't know how much the customer is that's going to pay you and who they are, you should know what house they live in, if they have kids, if they don't. Do they rent? Do they buy? These are all things you should know, right? I know that my customers, on average, they're middle class, they're married, two to four kids, they um, they own their home, and the price range of that home is generally 150000 to 350000 right? I know that the those people are usually moving from certain markets. I know when to advertise to them. I know the right persons to advertise to. Then I also know, very importantly, who I'm not trying to attract. And I make sure that we train our managers on, and we want those people out immediately. You can't have patience. you got to get people out. Um, so if you can identify those things, then the performance makes sense, right? I can overlay that and say, you have 300 units. Out of the 300 units, your value proposition is purely price in this market, right? You don't have anything to offer. You may not even have security. The manager's horrible, probably taking money on the side. You have 15% delinquency. You go, well, I can at least come in. I know I can clean up the delinquency. At least get that down to 5%. 10% right there, gross, right? And then two, I know that some of these tenants, let's say out of the 300, I know that 50 of them haven't gotten a rate increase for 10 years. So they're 50% below what they should be. Well, I can up them. And if they throw a fit, get out of here, get them out. And then I can go and start maybe a Facebook ad, maybe Google, and I can make, take nice pictures of the facility, maybe do a, vi a video highlighting it to try to capture it. And then I can give a promo, promo code to people that live in this area of the city. And this is something that my competitors aren't doing. Then I can get them in. It sounds like little things, but this is the difference of getting somebody that's willing to pay you $100 and $30. Um, so those are what you need to look for. And that's how when we build our framework out, we have all these things identified, right? I know exact expenses. I know exact revenue models. I know how much, what percentage of my people actually buy insurance boxes. So when I go... Look at, look at a facility, I can identify who the tenants are, what their value proposition is, the competitors in the area, their value proposition, the tenants they attract, where those tenants are coming from, who they are, how I'm going to capture them, how I'm going to compete with them, and whether I can pull that off or not, right? If you can identify those things, you can find home runs all day. How hard is it to evict somebody? It's easy. I send an email and say, get out of my facility. Well, it's actually e e even easier than that. I just tell somebody else to do it and they do it. <laughs> what, uh, what happens if they don't get out? What happens to the stuff? We sell it. How long do they have to get out once you tell them to get out? The statutes are different with every state. It's generally like 30 days, something like that. Um, but every state's statutes are, are different. Um, most So we bought that facility, for example, that we bought at auction I was telling you about earlier. Um, we, we had probably 30% of the, the tenant base walk out the first month. We, we were at 92%, 30% left, and within three, four months, we were at 96% occupied again. Because we knew, we knew that that 30%, they weren't our tenants. This wasn't the tenant we wanted. They're not our customers. They need to get out. We say, thank you, appreciate it, leave. Um, I don't care if they scream. I don't care if they kick. And if they don't get out soon enough, I'm evicting their stuff and getting out. Because you never make money selling stuff. That's like a misnomer. So if you have to take someone to auction to sell their stuff, you're going to lose so much money. Because you have an empty unit that you can't charge for. 
all they're leaving there is junk. It's not really storage wars. There's never anything of value. So somebody may come bid $20 on it. That person may have been delinquent for three months on a $100 unit. Now five months, there's $500, and you get yeah. $20, plus you're not getting the $500 you should have capitalized on. It, it's expensive. So we, you get people out very, very quickly. And the easiest way to do it is you walk in, rip the Band-Aid off, charge higher rates, um, and don't, don't wait around. Don't, you know, it's, it's just not worth it. Because those people will complain. They're going to give you problems. They're never going to pay. They're going to re- uh, take up 90% of your time and energy. Yeah. It's just, yeah. You want to get the right people in there. And it's they're happy to pay. Pretty awesome. So did you, I think Don said, so for me, I'm, I'm in multi-units right now or own multi-units, whatever, uh, apartments. I'm selling some of them, my brother and I, and, um, one, one of the things I hopped on for was cause Don said you do some syndication. Um, yeah, we're, uh, we're starting to do syndication right now. Our plan, I've never done it before. So, um, it's all been our own money from our other businesses. But one of the things okay. we're trying to do is we're trying – I was buying around three assets a year, um, and then we kind of slowed it down. And I'm like, we need to get back in the market. We need to pick up because the consolidation is speeding up. And so we want our money to go farther. So mm-hmm. we want to buy buying probably about four facilities a year. And with that, it would open up to where we will probably sit, start syndicating. Okay. I, I think that, if anything, would probably be something that I'd be interested in because I'm like – hearing you okay there's a big learning curve to get to where you're at yeah, yeah likewise <laughs> that that not that i can't do that i'm just like yeah. well at that point where i'm at in life is it worth me learning or or giving you some of the money you know you you making obviously some money off of it but yeah so for sure know, I've, I've only i invested in one apartment as a syndicate a syndication and um i don't know i like the idea of it if it works out yeah, I, that's how we feel about other asset classes. So we want to do more larger commercial and apartment buildings, but I won't do it myself because I don't. I know what I have to do to make my asset work, and I can't do that in like in apartments or commercial. So I or um, we're looking at a hotel next year. I wouldn't. I don't do that myself. I give that to my guy. That, uh, I have a guy that does hotels. He does them really good. I'm like, I want to be in that space, but. The learning curve for hotels is way too big for me. I'm not and apartments. I'm not going into it. Yeah, I think, I, I, think sense. I speak for Phil and I, Brian. I don't know where you are, but uh, I, I want you to be our self storage guy. Like, oh yeah, we got a self storage guy. That's where we <laughs> we give our money to AJ. <laughs> nice, nice. I'll go out and find some know, properties for us. I don't know. Brian is like, I don't know, man. I think I want to do this. No, I. I <laughs> think what he was saying, start small. I said in the back of my head, going, I don't know that I could put all this together quickly enough, even. I think, you know, it's, it's fine either way. If you want to be in the space though, too, I, I would say I'm happy to work with you. So like, let's say Brian, you're like, what if I, if I wanted to start small, if I want to go big, or if it was one of those things you're like, I was just looking at this more passive, but if you're wanting to do it, I'm happy to look at deals and I'm happy to, to say, Hey buddy, this is what I would or wouldn't do why and look for the red flags. Because I know that when I started particularly, that was the biggest thing. When I was going into it, I was just like, if I could have had somebody that would have been like, dude, you're totally okay, go buy it, right? Yep. I would have made a move, but I was so afraid because I didn't know what I didn't know, which 
was good, but it created a really slow buildup for me, which I could have shrunk down. So I, I know I passed up assets that I should have bought, but I just didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know how to underwrite it. I didn't know how to value it, and I didn't know what risks were there. So if, you, if you're wanting to get in the space, man, I'm, I'm happy to hold your hand on anything you need. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, buying, buying apartments, I would have, I don't know, saved more money, made more money, whatever, if I had had somebody kind of guiding me through it. I mean, I, I was telling the guys earlier, we're in a, the same GoPod, and I was saying that I, in 2016, and we bought, we went from 10 units to 110 units. And I was just, we didn't know really what we were doing. We thought we did, but there's a difference between a single family house and a 60 unit apartment. Yeah. <laughs> That especially one that's in a very low income area. It's kind of like the projects, but yeah, we're cleaning it up. <laughs> well, that's the way, you know, and too, that out of the association, that was one of the biggest things for me because like I just went all week and I was with operators that they have 80 facilities and we're talking about facilities that are 15 to 30 million a piece all over the country. They're big operations, right? Some of these guys have 300 facilities. And for me, I just need to be able to sit down for weekends with this guys and these guys and say, hey, how do I scale from, you know, my hundred plus million dollar portfolio to get to 500 million like you? What's what's my next steps and what do I need to be able to look out, look out for? I just I'm a huge, huge believer in having somebody on your side to, to guide you. And the association provides lots of good people like that for me. And I think we need it at every single step and level that we're going on. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate it. That's really cool. I appreciate your time. I need to go put my kids to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, but yeah. Any questions? Thanks. Any other questions, guys? No, I'm, I'm good to go. Brian, how about you, man? I'm all right for now, but my mind's going a million miles yeah. an hour. I'm sure I won't sleep tonight, but I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, AJ, Shoot me just in case you want to text anything, guys. That's what I'm saying, AJ, uh, uh, just in case you use this video for any other purpose, do you want to give out any information on like right now? as a shout out so if people other than us are listening they can reach out to you in any way yeah yeah actually that's a great idea so we do have my self-storage income podcast and i do have like cash flow to freedom which i i talk about scaling businesses and real estate practices so i also um so you can find me either cash flow to freedom um and or aj osborne on like instagram just message me Email me. My email's on both the sites and uh, videos online. So cash flow to freedom or self-storage income, you can get me. Man, you've been so gracious with your time but the other night plus today. So I'm really grateful. Thanks a lot, man. It was uh, super nice to meet you. Absolutely. Happy to help. Cool. Thanks, guys. All right. Brian, Brian, Phil, thank you. AJ, peace, man. Yes. See you guys. Take care.